wraps as well. It feels like these weeks are going by way too fast. Maybe it's because my team just refuses to win in fantasy football. That feels like the weeks are going by so fast. But three weeks are under wraps. We're the only playbook. We're going to talk all about it. I'm Sweetheart. Got Chovich to show uh, another week in the books, guys. How are you guys feeling a week later? Dude, not just another week. What a crazy week, man. Like the, the Bills, the Chiefs. The Chargers, all these teams that, you know, you thought you knew who they were, clearly don't know who they were. Yeah, and one of those teams are your fantasy team, my fantasy team, and Sweetheart's fantasy team. All three of us suffered heartbreaking losses, man, heartbreaking losses last minute for all three of them. But, hey, guess what? We'll just go down as, you know, one big camaraderie ship, and then we'll just come back up stronger. It's, it's so crazy how narrow and how sometimes fantasy doesn't make sense because you always have years where you score a lot of points and you don't win. And then you have years where you just don't score much and you still somehow end up winning games. And I was, I was looking at it. I'm 0-3. I'm literally last place in our league right now. And I have two less points scored than Chauvet, who is, feels like he's having a great year and is 2-1, right? So like the outlook is so different and the difference is merely two points. So it's just literally a game of inches. I mean, season's not over, but it is really unfortunate to start 0-3. But um, who knows? Who knows what will happen? And um, it just makes it oh. a little bit more competitive, you know? It's too soon. Too soon. 0-3 and there's like thir- uh, 10 more weeks left. I think that there's plenty of time for comebacks. Yeah. No, I agree. I definitely think there's plenty of time. It's just, you know, lo- losing losing the heartbreak of week two and then turning right back around and getting the heartbreak of th- to week three for me has just been back-to-back very very devastating losses and so um you know it'd be like that it'd be like that but (laughs) that that is what fantasy football is it's gonna rip your heart out um so i'm just waiting for a week where my heart doesn't get ripped out and i'm just like oh my team actually did well and won rightfully so you know so uh let's 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 hold out hope for something like that so uh again we'll jump into all of the action without further ado let's kick things off with water cooler talk Sayonara to the Pro Bowl. The NFL has officially announced no more Pro Bowl. I feel like this was like 10 years too long that they kept the Pro Bowl around. They're officially announcing that there's going to be skills competitions, which I feel like growing up there was already skills competitions and the Pro Bowl. So now they just, you know, kind of like, you know what? Let's ask the Pro Bowl. Let's bring the skills competition back. But to be honest with you guys, I grew up loving the skills competitions, like all the throwing competitions, all the receiving competitions. That was way more exciting than the Pro Bowl to watch anyway. So I'm I'm glad they're doing away with this, especially because nowadays it seems like anybody can make the Pro Bowl. Because if you make the Pro Bowl and you just don't want to play, you're like, you know what? I just don't want to play. And then they just have like your seventh backup, like Mitch Trubisky, make the Pro Bowl. So uh, I knew the Pro Bowl was there to die the the year Mitch Trubisky was a Pro Bowl quarterback. (laughs) So uh, I'm glad they did away with that. And, uh, enjoying looking and watching skills competitions versus uh shitty half-assed football that nobody really cares about yeah they'll probably still have seven on seven right flag football going on so at least there's some uh that action going on at least it makes sense why you're not tackling people because it's seven on seven flag football and not just you're just hugging them and, and the play's over because again nobody really cares yeah Tampa Bay is suffering a fiasco down in the Southeast with Hurricane Ian in route. So it looks like the Buccaneers are having to move their practice. And there is a chance this Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes Chiefs and Bucks game on Sunday Night Football this upcoming week could be played at a neutral site. One name being thrown around is in Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium since the Vikings are traveling to London this week. So it would be interesting to see the stadium 
play host as a neutral site to two teams, especially with how nice the stadium is. And who knows? I mean, it's probably very unfortunate that the Buccaneers are going to possibly lose a home game uh, against a team like the Chiefs of all the teams. But uh, neutral site field should pose for an interesting match. But, um, you know, something that we can't control, a hurricane. So uh, I guess it's hurricane season. Down in the southeast, that's all I had for relevant news. Let's jump into the worst part of the segments, which is injuries. Oh, my leg! Sure, I'm going to try to run through these injuries here, but some of these words are a little too big for my lack of medical brain. So if I butcher this or something, feel free to correct me. Uh, sure. Mac Jones has an high ankle sprain. He was being ha- having to be carried off of the field into the locker room. You saw the pictures afterwards. It literally looked like he was in throbbing, throbbing pain. Uh, looks like he got diagnosed with a high ankle sprain, unless there was something a little bit more severe in there. But uh, is expected to miss some weeks. High ankle sprain typically from our, you know, from what we see in football is usually about a, what, three to four week recovery process, two to four weeks maybe on the quicker side. But uh, the high ankle sprain can be quite nagging. I don't know if there's more to his injury, but um, you have a word in there that I'm just going to refuse to try to pronounce. Yeah, high ankle is like a, is a worse version of a regular ankle sprain because it not just damages your joint, but it damages higher up your leg. And one of the things that damages something called a syndesmosis is between the two bones. Uh, It's like a thin layer that just attaches your tibia and the fibula together. And what Max Jones injury is uh, really worrisome is that this could, this may be much longer than expected because word on the street is the syndesmosis has been injured as well. It's either torn or um, ripped apart from one side or the other. And that means bad news bears. That means over months, one to two months, maybe three months. Uh, we don't know. There is not enough information. This is just from like my Twitter feed that I get from all the injuries. Um, so just keep that in mind. If you hear this word coming up or anything, now you know what it means and it's not good news. That is very unfortunate. It could be the Hoyer show in New England here very quickly. I don't know if anybody wants to repeat a Brian Hoyer, but that is the back of quarterback on their uh, depth chart. And so um, a troubling start to the season for the Patriots, especially on the offense. And now they lose probably one of the most promising pieces of that offense. Uh, Joe Mixon running back for the Cincinnati Bengals, also dealing with a sore ankle. He is day to day officially. Samaj P. Ryan did step in while he was hurt and uh, looked relatively decent. I know P. Ryan's always been the backup there, but never really assumed a starting role. So um, we'll be interesting to see if Mick, this injury holds Mixon out. If that, if it does, then P. Ryan probably gets thrown into your lineup as a starter. Wide receiver Michael Thomas for the Saints is also dealing with a toe injury. He is day-to-day. I know the Saints, again, have this week where they're traveling to London, so uh, that will be something to keep an eye out for, whether you know the traveling and, and the lack of practice because the time it takes to travel to London uh, is going to hinder his ability to recover and be ready to go Sunday morning. Shashot, your running back, your consistent force, David Montgomery injured his ankle slash knee is what they said, which is really unfortunate because that's two completely different body parts. And so if you injure both of those, that's probably pretty bad. Um, But he was hurt. He did leave the field and Khalil Herbert had probably the best game of his career and maybe the best game of Montgomery's career as well. So um, that doesn't spell, you know, good news for Montgomery owners. Do you have anything to add on Montgomery knowing that you have him as a player? Yeah, turns out there's a really good chance he's going to play this week. And um, I don't know what that means for Herbert. 
But um, it's pretty foolish of them to not try to use Herbert more when you know he's fully capable, maybe even more than what Montgomery can do, and still try to throw Montgomery out there. I don't know what that means. Maybe from a blocking standpoint, Montgomery is like the greatest of all time. I don't understand. But they're, they're really talking about him playing this week more than not playing this week. So that's a little – it's odd. It's odd as far as waivers go. Now you don't know what to do. You, you don't want to pick up a player that may not even play. So – it's, it's a little weird. It's a very tough situation. I'd wait for a couple more days to make uh, big decisions here. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've been back and forth about the whole waiver thing, right? We talked about it in the past years, whether you want to kind of hold on to your top waiver pick till somebody that's like a can't miss pops up or it's a long season. And, you know, if you need to pick your spots and take your risks, then, you know, that's kind of what the name of the game is. Uh, the early outlook for the Bears, obviously how putrid their offense has been, how Fields has looked really, really bad. The fact that Herbert still was able to produce the way he was on Saturday or on Sunday and Montgomery hasn't looked insanely amazing the first three games. Uh, that is something to keep an eye on. I think personally, if it were me, um, if I still have a decent lineup and I have a waiver pick that I could potentially use on a guy like Cleo Herbert, I still would take that shot just because of how good he looked, just because of how that offense still has nobody there to produce, right? So like you said, if there's a situation where they can use both, they probably will, knowing what they have in Herbert. Herbert seems like he's their best offensive weapon outside of Montgomery right now because that offense has nobody. So um, I still think if it were me personally, I would risk the waiver spot since it's only three weeks in. Chances are other people will claim people and you'll get that waiver claim uh, working in your favor relatively shortly. But uh, Khalil Herbert does you know, show promise. I know there's been years past where he stepped in when Montgomery was in hurt. He stepped in as a backup and as a spellback, and he's been more than capable. So uh, I don't know if it's finally time or you know, if it's just the fact that he looks younger, he's got fresher legs and it's making a difference, but I think it's worth, you know, at least picking up or, or monitoring um, as the season progresses, not just this week. Chargers wide receiver Jalen Guyton suffers a torn ACL. He is out for season, already dealing with injuries to Keenan Allen, who'd missed it, who'd missed the last uh, game, and now Justin, and Justin Herbert's been hurt. Uh, a lot of early injury concerns for the Chargers. Guyton was somebody who was looking to step in, you know, to be the third option maybe for them outside of Williams and Allen, and now he is out for season, so unfortunate for them. Chargers left tackle Rashawn Slater ruptured his bicep, and he is also out for season. So that's very, very unfortunate for a quarterback that is dealing with a, what, broken rib cartilage. So he's going to probably need his blind side and his tackles to be there, and one of the best tackles in the league, Slater, is now out for season. Chargers just don't have a lot of good luck here this week. Joey Bosa injured his groin, and he is day-to-day. -day. So Every big name on the Chargers team right now is dealing with some sort of an injury. We already knew about Keenan Allen being hurt, but now you have, uh, you know, arguably their best defensive player, their left tackle, their third receiver. Uh, so a lot of injuries kind of early on for the Chargers. I know it's only three weeks in, but uh, a team that had a lot of promise coming into this season, uh, suffering really, really unfortunate and devastating injuries early. The guy we pretty much talked about would be an injury concern as he is every year. And when he's on the field, he's incredible. DeAndre Swift sprained his shoulder. It does look like no surgery is going to be required, but it does sound like he may miss some time. Jamal Williams has always and stepped up in his uh, absence and produced as he did last week. So uh, Jamal Williams is probably a guy that if he's not already drafted and picked up in terms of a handcuff, he's probably a guy you're going to look at picking up in waivers. Lions also wide receiver Monra St. Brown had an ankle injury. He did return uh, from that ankle injury in the game against the Vikings, but it is something that's worth monitoring. Um, I know they're probably going to get Jamison Williams back here shortly. So it could be a situation where you're losing a guy or a guy's banged up and another guy's coming back and 
now that we know that Amonra is such a star that he is, it's probably not something that you want to push, especially this early into the season. So uh, it could be a, something where they sit him for a game or two to get fully recovered, especially because he is typically a slot receiver and that ankle is pretty important for pivoting. Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is back on the injury report. What else is new? Shoulder dislocation, uh, subluxation. Is that is that the way you say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's let me just quickly add real quick. Um, so this isn't his first time doing this exact same thing, right? So it the anterior shoulder subluxation or dislocation is the most common form of shoulder dislocation. It just means it's kind of out of place and you can pop it back in. You, you hear a lot about like, oh my God, he popped his shoulder back in and went into play. Oh my God, what a warrior. That's not the case here. This is Dalvin Cook, who's probably not even injured, probably didn't even dislocate his shoulder. I'm just, he does this all the time. Every time he fumbles, the last three times he's fumbled, he hasn't played the next game. And it's like, bro, like, dude, like I see, I play, I play basketball against people like you at the Mac at UTA in Arlington all the time. Like you get injured once and you sit out because because you just lost the ball. Like, it's the same thing with Dalvin Cook here. But I, I don't want to be that guy, like, to point out a player's injury. But he was sitting on the sideline just chilling, you know, afterwards, like, a, a you know, a, a few minutes afterwards. So, yeah, maybe you dislocated your shoulder. If you dislocate your shoulder, that means you can put it, put it back in and you can play. So, the fact that he's not playing, he's trying to make it look like it's a little bit more than it really is. And it's just, like, there's too many parts that aren't adding up, and the only thing that really adds up is Dalvin Cook always fumbles and does not play the next game. So that's all I got here. That's the one constant, right? I mean, as Vikings fans, you know, this is something that – this is behavior that is not going to, you know, pass our eye test or, or pass our sniff test because Xavier Rhodes used to do this exact same thing. Every time he'd get burned on a play, he'd act like he pulled his hamstring. And so you'd feel bad for him getting hurt, but he just let off a really big catch. So it was like the uh, emotional uh, juggle that you have to do. And it's the same thing with Dalvin Cook. Like you said, every single time he fumbles, he's typically acted hurt or gotten hurt allegedly, and then he'll miss a game or two. So um, he, he, he was so confident immediately after the game saying he was going to play next week. That was, that was another red flag in my eyes. I was like, dude, you, you know, did something so serious to your shoulder. And you're like, Oh no, I'll be out there. I'll be playing. Uh, and they said he may play with a sling, but, Again, it's 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 leaning more towards the fact that like he's fine to play and they may not play him just because it's a long season. So it may just work into his favor uh, if he misses a game because then he can claim he actually was as you know hurt a little bit more severely than he actually was. But uh, Vikings fans are absolutely on to you, Dalvin. AJ Green, Mr. Old Man Wonder here. He is he injured his knee in the second quarter uh, in the game on Sunday for the Cardinals, did not return. Cardinals already dealing with a plethora of injuries on the, on the, you know, on the outside in terms of the weapons. So uh, not good news for them, not good news for Kyler Murray. Um, but that is something to monitor as well as we're still waiting for Hopkins six week suspension to resume and or to be over. And then he returns, but uh, AJ green, another guy for them that's passing or catching passes on the outside is hurt somebody to monitor. And last but not least, last night on Monday night football, really, really sad. One of the saddest injuries I think I've watched Sterling Shepard, just jogging down the field on that MetLife turf. All of a sudden, he just folds his knee, and you find out that he tore his ACL and he's out for season. Man, guys, watching that makes me feel so lucky that I have yet to really injure any part of my body playing sports my whole life because he literally did nothing. He literally was just jogging. Yeah, like half speed even. He was like jogging 
he had slowed down his route. He was just jogging. And all of a sudden he's holding onto his knee, no contact. Obviously we know that non-contact injuries are the scariest, but this one was just one of those where literally it wasn't like he was running a route and pivoting and like his knee buckled or anything like that. He was just jogging, just jogging, no contact with anybody. And then he was in probably what looked like one of the most excruciating pains that anybody could ever go through. And so unfortunate for him, he's had trouble staying healthy the past several years. And I think next year is the final year of his contract with the Giants. So uh, I don't know what the future holds for a guy like that. Retire. Yeah. <laughs> Call it a career, Shepard. Call it a career before you ruin other fantasy players' days by dropping passes that could potentially win them games. Call it a career. You did really well. You did really well. Thank you for your service. Yeah. At this point, again, you're hurt more than you're healthy. You're suffering really, really bad injuries like that when nothing is happening. You're not even getting hit. So that might be a sign that it is time to call it a career for Sterling Shepard. That's it for injuries, guys. Let's jump into the rundown. Let's kick things off with the Texans at the Bears here. Chicago was favored at home by two and a half points. They did cover the spread very narrowly in a 23-20 final victory over 39 cash. It was an ugly, ugly game. I mean, I think the only bright spot on both sides were really the running backs. Again, she showed, unfortunately, Montgomery gets hurt, but Herbert comes, Herbert comes in, kind of steals the show. 20 carries, 157 yards, rushing two touchdowns, caught two passes for 12 yards. You know, I had asked one of the receivers in the pregame show when we had recorded the preview episode to step up for the Bears. Um, and Mooney, Komet, and Herbert each led the way with a whopping two catches. So uh, no receivers have yet to come onto the scene or really act like they give a shit and trying to get open and catch balls for Justin Fields, who's still searching for that number one target. Uh, but again, Herbert was the guy that stole the show on the bear side. Uh, nice to see the running back, Damian Pierce, on the other side, finally get 20 carries in his third, I guess, official week of work. 20 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Also, what was encouraging is he caught two balls for 21 yards. I know a lot has been talked about Rex Burkhead coming in on passing downs and um, all catching opportunities, but the more Pierce can show that he can catch the football out of the backfield, I think the more looks he's going to get. He's the young guy. He's the guy with potential. We already, again, know what Rex Burkhead is. So uh, happy for Pierce to actually see some production. And honestly, my biggest takeaway is, is it time to start worrying about Justin Fields? Is this guy just not very good? Eight for, eight for 17, man, 106 yards passing, no touchdowns, two interceptions, five sacks, two fumbles. I mean, I get it. Your team sucks. The team around you is awful, right? But it's still clear as day that Field isn't also helping the team's case one bit. I mean, I think he's just adding on to the problems that already ensue. I know he's not in the best situation. I know he has nobody that's getting open for him. Um, and Herbert was pretty much the only bright spot in the entire team on Sunday. But again, when you're a mobile quarterback, when you're a first round pick, I think you're being asked to carry and shoulder more of the load than, you know, what somebody else may be asked to do. And so right now he's not only not carrying his own load, but he's really not helping others at all. And so I'm a little concerned about Justin Fields. Um, I don't know where you guys are at again. I know his receiving core is just putrid, but do you guys have a level of concern here with Justin Fields just you know, the numbers, you know, can be bad, but the product is also got awful when you're watching. Yeah. I mean, fantasy wise, I'm definitely concerned. And uh, I had to pick between Justin Fields and Tom Brady. And both of those guys have not been producing. And I went with Tom Brady. I was like, he's a goat. I'm going to go with him, even though Justin Fields can produce like on the run game. And he didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't score as much points as Tom Brady did. Uh, but other than that, I think that you have to kind of look at like, you know, you compare him to a guy like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is in his third year, right? 
And he's kind of now um, looking like that quarterback that we kind of thought that he would be. And they got A.J. Brown. They have more uh, weapons in the receiver receiving end. So I don't know if you kind of say that this product is just not good right now. I think you kind of have to go based off the fact that he just doesn't have any weapons to throw it to. And that may be the reason. And the sacks are not necessarily his fault either, right? Like five sacks, like that's on the offensive line. The offensive line needs to do a better job. This has been like a throughout his whole career, like in the past two years, sacks have been a big thing for him. And the offensive line is just not helping this team out either. But being a mobile quarterback, that's one thing that you're supposed to like try to help your team with, right? If you're literally fast, if you're a dual threat quarterback, the one thing you're supposed to try to do Mm. is take less sacks. It's supposed Mm. to try to take less sacks. So I don't don't understand. Go ahead. Man, like, this is why I hate running quarterbacks. Like, Justin Fields is the perfect example of why you're still a quarterback first, right? I don't blame Justin Fields for what's happening in in the Bears world right now. And I I don't think it's fair to compare it to the Eagles because the Eagles have a top three offensive line. The Bears have a bottom five offensive line. Like, I, you guys don't like it when I say this, but the game revolves around – the line like it always does you could put a mediocre quarterback with the best line you're going to get to the playoffs you put one of the best quarterbacks in nfl history with one of the worst lines you want to make it into the playoffs like it's we have to start from there that's the base we start from there and then we evaluate players after that so at the end of the day i'm a firm believer that justin fields has the attributes to do the things he may be able to do but when you're getting pressured, the pressured numbers aren't even on here. We have five sacks, but I would love to see how much he was pressured. Probably double digits. And that's where his running ability helped him out. He he was evade. He was able to evade what a Kirk Cousins or a Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't evade. I'm sure there was probably like at least nine to 11 pressures. And that would be like eight sacks for Garoppolo. And when he was five sacks with Justin Fields. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's really tough. He's he's probably placed in one of the worst positions I've ever seen in 20-plus years of watching football for a young quarterback. Like, the team did nothing to make this team a better team or even give it a, a little bit of a chance. So this is a very, very tough situation for me as far as evaluating fields. Yes, he's not doing well. When you look at the numbers, it's definitely prevalent. And even when you watch him, it's hard that he's not making certain things happen. But what can you do? What what is he supposed to do when your team is literally tanking every year? And it's blatantly obvious. Yeah, I mean, you guys are right. That's why I don't want to jump the gun and say he sucks. But I just I I I think there is concern for me specifically just because his his entire career that transpired at Ohio State was built on the fact that he had a big arm and he could throw the ball downfield. But again, if you go back and watch those games, the dude had close to 10 to 15 seconds to throw the football. I mean, he was playing behind literally probably all potential NFL linemen, right? So there's a huge difference in being at Ohio State and having the best recruits and playing with everybody like people do at Alabama, and then coming into the pros and the offensive line that you have is all of a sudden, you know, just very league average or below average. And, and, you know, I, I looked up there, you know, PFF is whatever it is, right? And you can, everybody can have an opinion on it, but pass blocking grades and run blocking grades for their offensive linemen. I mean, they're pretty much middle of the pack. Like their two tackles are 44th out of 70 and 38th out of 70 in pass blocking. And honestly, all of their run blocking is actually insane. They're all, they're all in the 95th percentile in run blocking. That's probably why Khalil Herbert had such a great day, but pass blocking grades there again, they're not great. It's not a great pass blocking team, but they're, 19th out of 37th, you know, 38th out of 70. So they're middle of the pack in terms of the NFL. And I just think that field still needs to be able to do more with this. I mean, again, 
I know his team is not good, but you're the one piece that you're building the future with and everything else is supposed to fall in line. So um, I get it. I, I know offensive line is incredibly important. I'm not dismissing that. I just think there's been at least somewhat enough, like sim similar to the Trevor Lawrence last year situation, right? Trevor Lawrence last year looked awful. He looked absolutely awful. But when you looked at his grades, he was actually grading out kind of well because with what he had, he was doing the most he could possibly do, but his team was just awful. So similar situation from our perception, but when you're actually looking at the team around him, like his line is not great, but they're also not, they're middle of the pack, right? They're, they're probably 16th in the league if you look at all of their blocking grades. And so I just think as a running quarterback, you just need to be able to do more. Uh, again, it is very, very early. It's not fair. Like you said, Fields took an extra year, but the thing with Fields is even in the year that, uh, maybe he wasn't developed fully into a quarterback. He was still insanely efficient on the ground. He was picking the spots. Well, he was running for like close to 50 to 60 yards a game and a touchdown. So he was still do you positively. Mean, do you mean hurts? Sorry, hurts. Yes. Hurts was positively impacting the game, even though he hasn't he hadn't yeah. fully developed at, as a passer, but right now field is not positively impacting the game or influencing the game in any manner is kind of what I'm seeing. And again, it was against the fucking Texans guys, the Texans, the bottom feeder Texans, if there's a game to be like, oh, wow, let's build something, it was this one, and it just wasn't there. We, 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 gave, we wrote them off because of the monsoon, right? Weren't they playing in the monsoon game? We wrote them off for that. We wrote them off last week. It was just a one-week sample size, and now they played one of the worst teams in the league at home, might I add, and they still look so bad, so bad. So I, I don't know. I, I'm a little concerned. I know it's too early. I know there's a ton of potential there. Let's hope they actually surround him with some playmakers and some weapons and – you know, maybe build an offensive line around him, but it's not looking good for this season, at least because this is who they have. I mean, they're not going to miraculously get better offensive playmakers, better offensive linemen this season. So if he's just going to have to shoulder the load from this to the end of this season, yeah. looking this way, like he's, he's, he's at risk to get hurt severely. And he's, well, he's at risk on. to literally be so bad that um, it could kill his confidence. So that's the last thing I'll say. All right. So, um, you know, the Bears are who we thought they were. They're not a good team, but they are sitting two and one tied at first place right now. There's another team that wishes they could be in their spot, and their name is the not the Oakland Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders suck, and nobody knows why. The Raiders play the Titans, and uh, they lost 22 to 24. Um, it was a you know I have no answer for what the Raiders are doing, um, but I could to give you one statistic on why they blatantly lost that game. And that's because of third down efficiency. The Titans completed 50% of their third down conversions. The Raiders only completed eight, 8%. In what world did you think you were going to win this game? And you got close, you know, 22 to four. But signs, but if we look at all the numbers, you know, throughout history, a team that converts 8% of their third down, you know, 8% of third down efficiency, basically, you will not win this game. So that's the, that's the card state delta when they tried to not – uh, make those plays happen on third down. It didn't help. They didn't have their slot guy, Renfro. But, however, they did find uh, a new and up-and-coming receiver, Mac Hollins. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to use this name daily moving forward because, you know, the targets are still going to Adams, Waller, Jacobs, and every once in a while players come out and do these type of things, i.e. Kadarius Tony. However, he loved them. He, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Sid from Toy Story. Um, he absolutely loved attacking Matt Collins late in the fourth quarter. 
Now, you know, if it was late in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, that's one thing, but it's late in the fourth quarter. That's different. That's a next level chemistry. And we saw 10 targets go this way, just as Adams, 10 targets going towards Adams. So why aren't those 10 targets going to Adams late in the game? Well, you know, teams find ways throughout the game to try to cover up Adams. And it usually doesn't work, but you have a guy named Aaron Rodgers at the helm, right? Well, with Derek Carr, these, this does not seem to be the case. I was fully confident that Adams would put up similar numbers, at least more targets with uh, coming to the Raiders world. However, that doesn't seem to be the case. It's We're just getting lucky with these touchdowns. And I'm not sure if they're going to fix this. I hope they do. Uh, but I have not been wrong about something as deeply as this one. Adams is not the same player who we expected him to be. He might be, but he's not getting the same treatment. And that, I don't think that's going to change. I think they're going to have to make it a point to change that. But that would take away time from Waller and uh, Matt Collins, which wouldn't be the end of the world because, one, Matt Collins just came into the picture. He can easily leave. And Waller has had three games where he's done not that much, you know, not that much from where he's getting drafted. Jacobs is a forgotten afterthought. I think they should start finding ways to improve that position with a more pass catching back that can do a little bit more like a Pollard type look for something like that. This ground and this running and pounding situation with Jacobs is not working. Um, on the other side of the field, Henry, the ground and pound king, uh, still finds a way to keep their, uh, his, a, um, his fantasy managers happy by running into the end zone and finding a way to get those six points. Because outside of that, it was 80 yards, and that doesn't mean much in fantasy. Robert Woods making a slight little edge towards, hey, look, guys, I'm still relevant. And it's kind of working because there's no one else to go with the ball besides Derrick Henry. And I think – Pretty safe to say that Robert Woods is going to be the benefactor. Uh, it's only three weeks. Um, you guys know me as the four-week guy to bef um, before I make like big decisions, but I think it's pretty safe to say Robert Woods demands the targets in time of need. And um, the Raiders' future is is very, very bleak. Yeah, Raiders look like a hot mess, man. That defense is just something else. And then uh, I think they sat down, Josh McDaniels, right? The owner was like, hey, I need to sit and talk to you and figure out what the heck is going on. And so um, maybe they miss John Gruden. You know, I, I, you know, there's been one constant throughout these coaching changes, throughout the come and goes of Devontae's and the Michael Crabtree's, and it's Derek Carr. And I think we give him so much of a pass being like, what's yeah. the problem with Derek Carr? Why is he not good? Why is he not good? And the assessment that I had, I think, is, you know, again, this could totally be wrong, but it until somebody tells me this is not correct, this there's another reason, this is what I'm going to hold on to. Again, I talked about it. Derek Carr is a quarterback who has great characteristics that a quarterback should have, but when he's playing, the game does not slow down enough for him that it does for the elite players where they feel like, you know, the game is running at half speed so they can analyze, they can process, all that. Like, Derek Carr – the game does not slow down enough for him to where there are times where he looks rushed. There are times where he makes really bad throws. He overthrows the football completely. It's so uncharacteristic to what he normally looks like that that's what, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm latching onto or holding onto until there's another clear cut reason. Cause we blamed the owners. We blamed Gruden. We blamed, you know, we blamed, we put the blame everywhere and they still continue to do the same thing. They just got arguably one of the best receivers of our lifetime. And through three games, their offense looks just like dog shit still. So I think the one constant here is Derek Carr. Maybe it's the offensive line. Again, when, when the quarterback doesn't succeed, I know offensive line has a lot to do with it. So is he just not getting the same level of blocking that he should get? I don't know if that's the case. So um, right now, the only thing that I can point to is Derek Carr is the problem. 
Yeah, and another thing of note is Adams was visibly frustrated that both of the last two games, when his uh, what I think it was like his grandparents and some family members that came into the game, uh, he walked out of the uh, press conference area before it even began because he didn't want to deal with the conversation. So like he was very very angry that he didn't get the treatment and he had a similar persona this last uh, most recent game even though he had ten targets. So he's actually. You can tell. You don't need to know about the offensive line. You don't need to know about the greens. You can tell from that one simple gesture, if you're willing to look hard enough, that the problem is Derek Carr. Like when, when, a, when, a, court, when a wide receiver like this is upset, where, where are the fingers getting pointed, right? Back to where the balls are coming from. And I think now it's pretty clear cut. Our analysis of this Derek Carr enigma, he gets everything he wants, but he can't deliver. And the finger has to get pointed right back at him. All right, so next up, we have an exciting game where the Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Indianapolis Colts. And like we said, don't trust the Kansas City line. It was minus five and a half. And sure enough, uh, you know, they did not, they were not able to get that uh, in their favor. So Colts did get that plus five and a half. Uh, the under came through at, uh, under, it was, sorry, let me start over. The, <laughs> the, the game ended with the under coming through at 50.5 points. And uh, so it was, it was a fun game to watch and shocking, shocking uh, to say the least, that Kansas City ended up losing the game. And uh, there was a, a lot that went on to allow the Colts to come in and, and win. Um, part of it was st- st- uh, the tight ends and receivers stepping up, right? Jelani Woods, rookie tight end, two touchdowns, um, including the game-winning drive, help from Alec Pierce, um, and, uh, you know, and also Michael Pittman, who was injured uh last week came back and had a, had a strong game Did, didn't see the end zone but still provided the help that Matt Ryan needs um and, and the Chiefs offense you know I was I was trying to think about this like you really don't know what the Chiefs offense really is right now you know they've got a lot of tight ends they've got Kelsey they've got Juju um and uh you know Hardman guys like that like and Sky Moore but you know what what how do they really funk or how are they going to function on a day on a week-to-week basis uh it's it's still to be seen and I think that uh, the Colts were able to exploit some of the uh, some of this in, in terms of um, not blitzing, right? Because they didn't blitz as much, they were able to cover more of their tight ends and the receivers, and that allowed the Kansas City not to score as much. Um, and you know, it, so it, it was just a fortuitous event for the Colts that they ended up uh, winning the game. I think there was a penalty that was called at the end of the game. I can't remember that allowed the drive to keep going, and that allowed them to win again. Um, but you know, not to say the Colts are any team that anyone needs to be worried about. They have their own set of issues that they need to figure out in, in terms of, um, their, their offensive line, um, Matt Ryan, right. It seems like if Matt Ryan gets hit, then he's going to fumble the ball. Like, you know, he, he, he had a fumble last, uh, last game and they still came out to win lucky for them. Um, but this offensive line isn't as good as they were last year. So they definitely need to work on, uh, getting that, you know, working working on that in order to be competent in this league um but i think the chiefs just lost this one nine times out of ten they're going to win this game but uh, the colts got a better got the better better end of them um this game i seem to recall last episode somebody had said that this was an early season trap that even though the colts haven't won a game even though the chiefs look so good don't be so fooled by this line. <laughs> weird, weird how the NFL works, man. It is weird how the NFL works. But even despite the, the Colts not doing their formula, where it's like Jonathan Taylor running it for 30 times for 150 yards and two touchdowns, like he didn't have another subpar game, I would say, uh, as a Jonathan Taylor owner. 
they were still able to win. So I think that means something, but you're right. Uh, Matt Ryan show does look like a guy that right now he does not like to get hit because when he's getting hit, he's absolutely like completely crumbling and he's losing the football a lot. So it's just reminding me of an older Carson Wentz. It's like, I'm it's like, I watched Carson Wentz from last year, still on the same team, just aged 10 years. So it's just, he lost the one thing that he had that isn't necessarily even a good thing. Like his weird athleticism that leads to turnovers. He also lost that. So now he's just leading to turnovers, but based on just like lack of athleticism. So it's just like watching Carson Wentz as like an old shriveled up man. That's what I'm kind of watching the Colts as. <laughs> that takes us to another upset. The Buffalo Bills were traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Miami at home as five and a half point underdogs. They cover the spread. They went out right. I took the over, but the under came in. The Buffalo Bills demise in their secondary, you know, I think was the difference here. Uh, a, a lot to be said. I mean, we talked about Poyer and Hyde. Neither of them played. Uh, Dane Jackson didn't play because that scary injury. Tredavious White was out. They were unloading a first-round rookie corner in Kyer Elam, a sixth-round rookie corner, and then a sixth-round rookie corner that was from last year, right? So altogether, they had a total of, like, zero NFL actual experience. So um, not like the Dolphins totally gashed them throwing the football or anything like that, but I think the Dolphins were able to do enough um, on the defensive end to stop the run, to make this completely Josh Allen throwing or bust where you're not really going to see Josh Allen have 63 pass attempts very often in a game that was close, right? It wasn't a game where they were down like completely from the beginning and all they had to do was throw, but it's a little concerning to see that they did not run the football very well or at all. Josh Allen had to throw the ball 63 times Tua got concussed and it looked really, really bad, but he somehow came back into the game with which when I saw the concussion, I was 100% set that he was out for the game. So I'm very, very shocked that that dude got cleared concussion protocol at halftime and came back in because he was having trouble just standing. So um, I, I don't really know what to make of all that, but nonetheless, he comes back, he grinds it out. Uh, Dolphins defense, you know, did a really good job of playing too deep and taking away all the deep stuff. That's why Singletary led the way with like nine catches because all Allen was able to do is dump the ball off. But I think, again, this goes to show that even though it was ugly, the Dolphins ended up winning a game against a Buffalo Bills team that I think a lot of Dolphins fans were expecting them to lose. Um, and there's something to be said now. It's not like I think I'm worried about the Bills in any sense because I'm not. The Bills are going to be fine. But the amount of injuries that are racking up on their secondary eventually is going to come back to bite them, right? Nobody can overcome losing two all-pro safeties, losing an all-pro corner, losing a decent second corner, and having an entirely, entirely new secondary that's playing the game. So um, I think, to, to be honest, that was probably the difference. Um, but other than that, again, I'm very impressed with the Dolphins' ability to you know, stay with this one and come away with a win 21-19. Yeah, I think more than the Bills defense, like how are the Bills offense only scoring 19 points? I think that's a lot of credit to the Dolphins defense. That's insane amount of credit to the Dolphins defense. When you see Josh Allen throw 63 passes, you expect a lot of touchdowns. And limiting them to 19, that's that sounds like an AFC championship kind of team defense to me. Yeah, they're just one two interception away from, you know, all of that crumbling. But it early season, Maybe. they look they look very impressive. One thing I want to add about this game is uh, Gabriel Davis. And part of it is because I also own Gabriel Davis, but um, I just don't, I, I don't know if this is a guy that you want to start on a weekly basis. Like there was so much preseason hype around Gabriel Davis. Right. But this guy's like a boomer bust, right? Even him to me. 
Give me yeah. Gabriel Davis. Hold I'm on. I'm going to let you finish your point. And I'll, I'll take Gabriel Davis off your hands. <laughs> I, you know, I would love to be convinced otherwise, but even when he scored that two touchdown, like uh, the touchdown on on, Monday, on Thursday Night Football, the first game of the season, right? He had like four targets and he it was like a blown coverage got the touchdown yay great but like when push comes to shove and you need to make a catch in the red zone to get a touchdown and you can't get that catch like and and you're already getting limited targets with digs coming in and guys like isaiah mckenzie coming in i don't know if gabriel davis will be someone that you can really rely on on a week-to-week basis i get that this team is a high-flying offense it's just just doesn't seem like davis is the part of that yeah, keep him on your bench. Just keep. Him yeah, I mean, bench. I mean, Diggs isn't coming in. Diggs has been there. Gabriel Davis is coming in, so you gotta know where you're drafting, right? You're not drafting a wide receiver one. You're drafting a potential wide receiver two. Like Diggs is gonna get his. I drafted Diggs fourth overall in my league because I knew the volume was coming. I'm not that confident about Gabriel Davis, but if I'm getting Davis in the fourth or fifth round. And that's not so bad. I'm okay with the produ- like the production that's happened so far, and it's only going to get better, right? The, the Bills. I mean, the Bills just lost that offense. They scored 19 points. They're going to figure this out. They're going to figure this out, and whoever they play next is in big trouble. And I would, I'm starting Gabe Davis. I mean, it depends on who was who's on my team, but this next game is probably the best game to start Gabriel Davis. But that's just me without knowing who they're actually playing. I haven't looked into it, and I, I'm not I'm just talking from a hypothetical team standpoint. It depends on who's on my team, obviously. Yeah. So. Gabe Davis week one produced. Yeah. Would you like to have seen him have more catches? Maybe, but you know, it's the first week of the season. He caught what four balls. I think he had like 80 yards and a touchdown or something like that. Right. Was yeah. that, does that sound about right? And yeah, then last week, last week he got hurt. So last week he didn't play. Right. So this week he's coming back from being hurt, hobbling. What was it? An ankle? Yeah, it was yeah. an ankle. So, so as a receiver, he's coming in hobbled. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he is not 100%. And what, what does Isaiah McKenzie and Devin Singletary leading in targets and catches tell you what I just said, they were playing too high and they just gave him everything underneath. That's what, again, Josh Allen throwing 63 footballs. You're probably like, if you saw just that as the first stat line, before you looked at your receivers production, you're probably like, Oh my God, Gabe Davis had a field day. Diggs had a field day. Everybody probably had a great fantasy day. Right. But again, it, the reason that wasn't the case, the reason even a guy like Diggs after having what three touchdowns, and like 150 yards, was still slowed down as well, right? It wasn't just Gabe Davis. It was Diggs was slowed down as well compared to what his usual normal statistical output is. It was the fact that the Dolphins' defense is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. And the way they were playing, again, it's similar to the way defenses were playing the Chiefs. We're not going to let the deep ball beat us. We have these insanely fast receivers. So our goal is to make Mahomes throw everything underneath, throw everything underneath, check everything down. And that's what the Dolphins did. And right now, that seems to be the formula for high-flying offenses. You want to beat us? Fine, but we're going to make you make 15 passes a drive. Every single pass is going to have to be perfect, and if you miss one or two passes, it's an interception, or you're going to get stopped on third down, right? So it's just they're basically playing a defense that's like the law of averages. They tell us that at some point you're going to have to make a mistake if we just keep making you check the football down six or seven times. So personally, I would not be I would not be like jumping off the Gabe Davis wagon. I would not be trying to bench him. I would not be trying to trade him. I would be trying to trade for him. I would be trying to trade for him because three weeks into the season where he was drafted and how he's producing is not adding up. But one week was injury. The second week he came back from injury. So he didn't look hundred percent. So I don't think there's a lot of stock in him struggling early in the season. I think he's going to be a wide receiver too. I think he's going to be really good. So um, I personally would not be concerned about Gabriel Davis. 
Speaking of concerned about people, the Lions came to the Vikings home and tried to do their Giants and Lions and Vikings and Packers. And it's just, let's get something straight, okay? Vikings, when they lose on prime time, come back and spank some ass. That's what they do. And they typically do that to the Bears or the Lions. And just so happens the Lions happen to be, uh, you know, on the other end of this uh, spectrum. And uh, the final score is 24 to 28. Lions covered plus six. Uh, the under hit at 52 and a half. Um, one of the things to talk about this game, but I'll try to make it quick. Um, one thing I have to mention is Amandre St. Brown's injury is not that big of a deal. I think he'll come back and be fine. But in case he does not play, Josh Reynolds is the next man up. Um, and if Swift is going to miss some time, which it looks like he is, they're going to try to bring him back after the bye week, it looks like. So that's what, like two, three weeks? It could even be four weeks. I don't know. Uh, but during that time, if you're down in a hole and your team's, you know, fantasy team's not doing too hot, it might be time to take the risk and get Williams on your team so you can at least have that player for the two, three weeks. Because once Swift comes back, it's bye-bye back to the bench, Williams. Um, and one thing to mention is the tight, the tight ends in this game. Um, after that performance by Irv Smith, Last week, um, it, he did pretty well from a fantasy standpoint. Would have been even better if he had caught the touchdown, not dropped it. Um, he kind of dropped more passes this game, but you know, caught some passes here and there, making it look like he's still part of the offense. They're not going away from Irv Smith. They do screen passes to Irv Smith. They go deep with Irv Smith. They throw to him on third down. So he's a big part of this offense. Hawkinson, on the other hand, I've started him three weeks in a row. I've been sad, been sad, got a little happy this time when I finally got a touchdown. Um, but I'm not I'm not sold. I'm not sold. They love to throw to the running backs, and they love to throw to their receivers. Hawkinson has been getting close to five catches a game, and it's not turning into touchdowns. Hopefully this one is a sign of things to come. Uh, Dalvin Cook, I'm, I'm done with you, Dalvin Cook. This is my eulogy to you. Thank you for your service. I'm happy you were on our team for a long period of time, and you were great. You know, but time to move on. I don't want you on this team anymore. I hope you score a few more touchdowns this season because after the season, I want to move away from you. I think Madison is not injury prone. I think Madison can do everything else you can do. And he can catch passes, he hurdles people, things that you don't do. Okay. And um, we have plenty of healthy running backs, young running backs, useful people that are not injury prone right behind Madison. So maybe we can learn from Madison and improve. But cook time, I think it's it's enough. From a fantasy owner perspective, they're all tired of you. From a Vikings fan perspective, thank you for those long touchdowns. They're just not happening anymore. And um, it's it's time to move on. Here we come. Uh, another thing, last thing to add in this game, Adam Thielen is not done. Whoever thought he was done, I'm sorry. You don't know what you're talking about. Adam Thielen is still one of the best receivers in the game, especially from a red zone perspective. People demand uh, – He's going to demand the ball. He's going to demand the ball in the end zone because he has that efficiency where if it's coming his way and it's a clutch time, uh, scoring time, he will catch the ball. There's some plays, if I can, if this was like a, you know, if we had like a screen here and I could point to things and we were rich and we can afford stuff like that, I would show you that Justin Jefferson was triple covered on a lot of third downs. The play that Alan Thielen scored a touchdown, there's three people covering Justin Jefferson at the line. And Justin Jefferson wasn't even at the line or past the line. He was behind the line of scrimmage, which means he sucked in three defenders 
to an area where the ball is not even going to go. So that left Thielen wide open. A couple of other options were there too. So just things like that. So when you think of Justin Jefferson and you're from, you own him on your fantasy team and you're like, what the hell? He's not getting any points. Well, he's not Randy Moss. He's not getting the jump ball. So what do we do next? We use him as a decoy to get other people open. And hopefully um, we can continue to do uh, some things like this. So when Thielen starts being more present on the field, that leaves Justin Jefferson a little bit more open. And this whole triple doubling, uh, uh, tripling, doubling thing is a thing of the past. And then we can have Irv Smith, that's a weapon. We can have KJ Osborne, that's a weapon. Thielen, that's a weapon. And JJ, that's a weapon. And I think this is just a statement again from a Viking standpoint that there is no such thing as just one big weapon on this team. There are a lot of weapons. You're going to have to cover them all. Yeah, I saw an interesting stat, I think, with Kirk Cousins over the last two years. The player that has the most crucial catches on third downs or inside of two minutes, et cetera, and on targets, targets versus catches, right? Adam Thielen was number three, Justin Jefferson was number two, and KJ Osborne was number one. So KJ Osborne, Mr. Third Down, Mr. Clutch, Mr. When push comes to shove, give this guy the football. I think all this did was allow defenses to be like, hey, if we triple team JJ, there are still receivers that can beat us. And so eventually defenses are not going to be able to triple team in because the will get open every time KJ Osborne will get open every time. And so once you spread that more out, then it's just going to make the offense that much more dynamic, like we saw in week one. Uh, so I think JJ will be fine long-term in fantasy, but yeah, this is a wake up call to opposing teams that the Vikings have more than just Justin Jefferson as a receiver. That is also a threat. All right. Next up, we have the Ravens at Patriots. Uh, Ravens ended up winning that game 37 to 26, but um, it wasn't easy. There was a, point in the game it was 31 26 at some point and we were thinking or I was thinking that it's going to be a, a repeat of the Miami Dolphins game where the Patriots come back but no the defense held on at the end of the game and did not allow Mac Jones to get to the red zone they had a they um had an interception off of Mac Jones um and unfortunately Mac Jones got hurt uh, like we talked about earlier with the it seems like a brutal injury the guy was like on his floor on the floor crying help I've fallen all of that but <laughs> Uh, not to make fun of his injury, but uh, it was really sad. Anyways, uh, moving moving forward, um, I, th- I thought that uh, the offense for the Ravens played really well. I thought that um, their defense is going to give up points, and uh, Lamar Jackson and company just need to step up and score points when that happens, and that's exactly what they did. Lamar Jackson had four touchdowns, and the last touchdown uh, allowed them to get up uh, 37-26 um, after, um, I believe it was um, – a fumble on Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar uh, fumbles the ball, and uh, Jackson came back and, and allowed them to win. So it's just this, that's going to be the recipe, right? Uh, Lamar Jackson is just going to continue doing Lamar Jackson things, and the defense just has to be, you know, good enough to not allow more points than than their offense sco- scores. And uh, and if they do that, they'll be successful. And uh, I was looking a little bit more into this uh, Lamar Jackson. Um, contract situation and it seems like uh because I, I did mention it last game last week and the reason why they can't come into a contract is because lamar jackson as i uh, could you mentioned to show that he was his own agent he's trying to make get a four-year contract and not a six-year contract so four-year contract allows him to restructure his contract at 35 31 when he's still at the his peak in his prime and then six years, which is what uh, Ravens want, would be like 33, a little bit lower. He doesn't get enough value because he can get another contract. So uh, pay this man, get him what, it want, what he wants, because he's going to be the reason that you win the game. Um, and, you know, on, on the other side of the ball, just to kind of uh, end things off, uh, Mac Jones, you know, this guy uh, just completed three of eight passes 
when it was from 10 to 19 yards for 74 yards and had three interceptions between the 10 and 19 yard mark line, right? So this guy, um, I, I mean, I, he, he's injured now, but um, his inaccuracies or maybe just inability to find the right uh, receiver is causing the Patriots to have issues on uh, and not allowing them to win games. So they need to do better on that. I know another purple team that would love to scoop up Lamar Jackson if the Ravens decide not to sign him. So uh, stay in purple, Lamar, just not with Baltimore. Next up, we have the Bengals traveling to New York to take on the Jets. Bengals came in here at six-point favorites, under 45, cashed as the final was 27-12. Bengals covered with ease. Bengals finally take care of business on offensive, on the offensive side and the defensive side. Joe Flacco was not having a good day. The D sacked him four times. He had two interceptions, two fumbles, uh, held the run game in check, too, from the Bengals' defense. The Jets ran the ball 20 times for 76 total yards. Joe Burrow finally protected the football, 275 yards to the air, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, and the trio of receivers actually stepped up. Taj Boyd's been old reliable in the slot. Mr. Catching passes, four catches, 105 yards and a touchdown. T against five for 93, got robbed of a touchdown. One of the best catches I've seen in a while. Jamar Chase, six for 29 and a touchdown, got into the end zone. So uh, it looks like, you know, when protection is there, when Joe Burrow protects the football, good things happen. So uh, this should have been a win. This was a win. The Bengals refused to start the season 0-3 because that would have spelled trouble. Um, and so they take care of business on the road against the Jets, an inferior Jets team. Uh, and all the usual suspects for the Bengals do well. Joe Mixon, we mentioned earlier, did get hurt. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan came in, played well, but doesn't look like Mixon's injury is anything long term. All right. Next game we have the Eagles at the Commanders. Eagles commanded the lead and just took over this game um, as, you know, the best team in football would do. And I say that not no disrespect to the Bills or anything like that, but the Eagles look like the complete package. What, what do you fear the most? What you fear the most in a team is a strong defense. And then what else do you fear? You fear a strong running game. You fear a strong passing game. They have it all. And now they just solidified that by making Devontae Smith have the best day of his life. That just, I mean, that just put the league on notice. I think everybody's jaws just dropped because everybody just had forgotten about Devontae Smith and just thought, well, let's just shut down A.J. Brown. Let's see what happens. Well, this is what happens, Commanders. Devontae Smith went up and got it probably better than A.J. Brown could, to be, to be honest with you. That man's, you know, he's, he's got big man energy, kind of like uh, Steve Smith. So, um, you know, this is going to be a team to be really, really worried about long-term all the way into the playoffs. I don't know how they wouldn't make the playoffs unless Justin um, – or um, unless Hurts get Hurts. And um, don't forget about Goddard. Uh, Goddard, he got hurt. I don't know how injured he really is. I haven't looked into that that much. But he's injured. He's injured, and that could play a big role in what happens the next few games because they don't have Zach Hurts to fall back on anymore. Um, and let's not forget about the other side of the field. I know they only scored eight points, but, you know, I, I'm going to give a mid-podcast award to Antonio Gibson for being the next Joe Mixon. He is officially the next Joe Mixon, where even bad games, you just fall forward into the end zone to save your day. And, you know, Joe Mixon has been the king of doing that, scrapping up his shitty day with some last-minute touchdowns. And um, Gibson's just getting to do that with a shittier offense. So congratulations, Gibson. I will never draft you again, but, you know, you're still making the people that drafted you pretty happy. And uh, what, what does this mean for the future? Well, you know, commanders, it was nice to enjoy that first few games, but I think 
the Carson Wentz roller coaster is one of the most intense roller coasters to ride in football. And uh, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody else get back on this. I think it's safe to drop him in your fantasy leagues and uh, pursue something more consistent because the ups and downs of this roller coaster may either give you a win or it could just completely shatter you in situations where you were to probably won anyways with your typical starter. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a matchup-based guy you want to start. Obviously, last week against an inferior defense, and, and he picked them apart. This week against a team that is legit, and their defense looks amazing, he could not do a single thing on offense. So uh, he's definitely kind of a pick-your-poison if you're streaming a quarterback. Uh, Goddard did have a shin injury, and he left the game briefly, but he did come back. So I don't know okay. that it's anything long-term or severe, but uh, it's still, you know, from a fantasy outlook perspective, with the target share now, if Devontae Smith can start to garner more targets the way he did this game and AJ Brown's going to get his uh, Goddard's fantasy value does slowly, slightly diminish there, but uh, still has the number one tight end in a team that seems like the most complete football team in the league right now. Uh, you're probably deploying him most weeks than not. Next game Saints at Panthers Panthers come up with a win on that game. 22 uh, 14 Carolina it, it gets the, um, Yes, a betting point at two and a half. And uh, the reason for the win for the Panthers is very simple. It's their defense, right? Panthers defense had a strip on Kamara that led to a touchdown and a field goal block on Lutz. Will Lutz? Yeah, Will Lutz. 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 Is it Lutz? (laughs) Lutz. Um, Had a field goal block on Lutz. And uh, that caused them to, you know, not get points on the board. And uh, all in all, I think that that's really the reason why why they won. Uh, And... uh, you know, something to think about as far as the Saints or Saints go, Jameis Winston has yet to throw a touchdown this year. And he's been targeting his receivers. He's got Michael Thomas. He's got Jarvis Landry. He's got Chris Olave, who just continues and continues to get targets and yards. But that all means shit because it doesn't get you to the red zone. So um, huge, huge uh, concern on the Saints offensive side. I just thought Jameis Winston was like a polarizing player that can get you a lot of points and then also not get you a lot of points with you know interceptions. Uh, but you're not seeing any of those, uh, any points from uh, Jameis Winston. And so that offense has to be in shambles. You know, it's crazy because uh, Saints ended up with 426 yards, uh, total yards in the game. And the Panthers only had 293, but, you know, it's a game of turnovers and uh, the strip on Kamara, the field goal block allows you to to win that game. And Panthers defense, uh, you know, uh, stood up strong and uh, came up, came out on top. This is what I wanted to see from the Panthers defense. I was wondering why their defense wasn't as good as they should be. Now, granted, I think the minute you see three games in, Jameis Winston has no touchdown passes. I think that back is really, really bothering him because, again, he's a slinger. He's a gunslinger. Even if he threw four interceptions, he'd still be slinging the ball. So the fact that he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass yet, I think that back is an issue. I don't know if there's a legitimate concern uh, to replace him till he gets hurt or till he gets fully healthy. But, um, you know, Andy Dalton is there. Andy Dalton is the classic, you know, coming to steal your job if you're a subpar quarterback kind of guy. So, I think he, Andy Dalton would be more than capable of doing the job as long as their offensive line holds up. So they could have to come into a situation where they make a tough decision. Like, Jameis, you're not 100%, uh, and you at 50% or 60% is maybe worse, probably worse than Andy Dalton at 100%. So uh, definitely something to think about as the Saints travel to London and take on the Vikings here. Big upset on the board. The Jacksonville Jaguars traveled to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. Justin Herbert, Mr. You can never, never doubt this man's courage he decides that he's going to play uh he plays through this you know cracked rib cartilage or whatever the heck it is and 
Um, you know, he, he, he definitely looked like he was hurt, but I think it was still, I don't know. Like I was, I was teetering between the fact that like, I was like, man, this is pretty impressive. This guy's on the field, but also, man, you're really hurt. And you know, there's really not a lot happening for the offense today. So at what point are you going to get benched? They ended up being down 38 to 10. That's the final score. Jaguars win the game outright as seven point dogs in the over 47 hits. But I I don't know what your guy, what you guys make of him still being on the field for that last drive where they were down 28 points where there really didn't seem like a reason he should have been playing still with how much, you know, with how in pain he was. Uh, so I thought that was a little bit questionable, but the run game, absolutely non-existent for the Chargers. Eckler owners probably can't be happy when your you know, third or fourth overall pick has four carries for five yards. You're probably going to be like, well, what the hell, man? Uh, I think the eight catches for 48 yards salvaged his fantasy day, at least to some extent. But uh, Palmer had six catches for 99 yards. Mike Williams, one catch for 15 yards, was a touchdown. That salvaged his awful day. But the Charger, Chargers offense as a whole was just putrid. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Herbert had limitations, man, as much as he wanted to be the hero and play through the pain, he had limitations. And I think the Jaguars on the offensive side played really, really well, knowing that, you know, the Chargers lost their left tackle knowing that Bosa was hurt. Uh, this might be Trevor Lawrence. Again, I said this last week, but maybe this is Trevor Lawrence's best game of his NFL career, 262 yards passing three touchdowns, zero sacks. Uh, the backfield is still owned by James Robinson, 17 carries hundred yards and a touchdown three catches and 16 yards for him. ETN did get seven, 13 carries himself. So there is somewhat of a split there, but only 45 yards caught three passes for 30 yards. And the Christian Kirk show guys, three weeks in, he's been nothing but consistent six for 72 and a touchdown. Zay Jones siding 10 for 85 and a touchdown and Marvin Jones, the Jones bros four catches, 33 yards and a touchdown. So uh, Jaguars all of a sudden looking kind of decent. I'm very excited about kind of how Trevor Lawrence looks. It's nice to see some weapons actually step up for him. Nice to see him actually get a healthy running back in James Robinson back, who looks phenomenal, and the compliment back in ETN. So uh, a lot to like from Jaguars country. I think, you know, not to make a ton of this on the Chargers side. I know their injuries are piling up, but it's all really going to start with Justin Herbert's health. Next game up, we got the Rams at the Cardinals. Rams, man, I don't know. I don't, I'm pretty sure I kind of predicted this to happen. Uh, last time they played in the playoffs, Rams had Kyler Murray's number. They know how to stop him. At least they know how to not let him score touchdowns as he did not see the end zone even once this game. And, uh, you know, it's when push comes to shove, you have to be the better team in multiple areas. And, um, you know, Cardinals did their best. They hung in there uh, all throughout the game. And the final score was, you know, a one score game. But if you watch this game, you see how dominant the Rams were. Uh, totally just managing this game. I think the time of possession was pretty even, but that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about managing the game. I mean, like creating certain, like um, timely stops, uh, stopping plays from turning into field goals. They did a really good job of that. And Ramsey, I mean, you know, people that watch this game and they see that, you know, the stats don't really prove anything. Uh, we'll see that Ramsey had a huge impact. He was all over the field. He was stopping these third downs from becoming first downs. And that's why he's the best cornerback in the league. And, you know, like you, you'll get burned here and there every once in a while. But at the end of the day, you know, my eyes don't lie. I saw what I saw. And that man was a huge reason for this win. Um, you know, Cardinals biggest, biggest flaw, like I mentioned, they couldn't get inside the end zone, despite a huge day from yards perspective from that offense. Hollywood looking like a clear-cut number one wide receiver right there. We'll see how long that lasts, but as of right now, he's doing a great job. And Cooper Cup, man, he's one of the greatest fantasy players of all time already. 
And, you know, even when he couldn't do much from the air, because Matthew Stafford is just not that guy, um, Cooper Cup rushes for almost 20 yards for a touchdown. So fantasy owners must has have just they just have to be so happy with what they got from him because looking like he should have just been a number one overall. Um, Stafford, I just talked about him, but I don't think he's startable at this point. This offense is not the same offense, and this defense is not the same defense. They'll come make plays against familiar opponents like the Cardinals, but against a much better team, I'm not sure if this is a startable defense. I'm not sure if Stafford can make much of what's going on with his offensive line. Uh, he just needs time to throw like a lot of the quarterbacks in the league, and he's not getting that, and Stafford is not who he is. He's playing like a Lions Stafford right now, and um, he's just really lucky that there's players out there that are just not like his familiar Lions players um, that are doing a lot of the work and uh, they're giving him the win. Uh, and one last thing we got to mention is trends matter. And uh, looks like um, acres is kind of running away with that lead. I mean, they drafted him high. Uh, they waited for him to come back from a severe injury when a lot of teams would have just given up even after a, a terrible week one, they still kept giving him yards, kept giving him carries and now he's taken a hold of this backfield. I think Henderson, just like every other season in this poor guy's life, um, he plays really well every year, but they always just find a way to replace him. So I think that needs to be put on map as well. If Cam Akers owners are still trying to get rid of him, or uh, probably not anymore, but um, if you got the benefit of the doubt and uh, got a hold of him while you still could, you're going to be happy moving forward. Yeah, man, Hollywood Brown. I sent you guys that stat. I'm on that train because I got him on my bench and he has not dropped a pass. The problem that Hollywood Brown had, if he fixes it, there's a reason that dude took so many targets from Lamar Jackson. I mean, he doesn't have a problem running routes. He doesn't have a problem getting open. He's no. passed. It's just, can he catch the football and demanding what 17 targets this week, 14 catches. I know Hopkins is coming back. We know that they have other mouths to feed, but that's very, very encouraging for a team. As of now, that seems like they're literally going to be losing every football game and going to be coming from behind. Nice. All right. Next up, we have the Falcons at the Seahawks. And I uh, can't believe it, but Falcons actually won a game this season. So they're now one and two. The final score is 27-23. And, uh, you know, I think their offense played really well. Guys like Kyle Pitts, who we were given a lot of shit to last week. You know, he had five catches for 87 yards. Uh, talking about his uh, separation issues, but you know, if the guy, the guy's tall, he, he can jump up. If you can just, you know, you just throw high enough, he'll catch the ball. And so I think uh, <laughs> that kind of worked out for the uh, Falcons this, uh, this game. And then um, Drake London also, you know, playing stellar uh, Cordell Patterson had 153 yards, uh, 153 yards total from scrimmage. And so uh, offense was clicking and uh, for the Seahawks, I think they just didn't make enough plays when it counted to end up to, to win the game. Geno Smith had a chance late uh, to come back and uh, throws a pick at, with, uh, with at the two minute warning, um, like right around two minute warning time. And, uh, you know, that caused the game to end. Um, but both teams, you know, this is a very evenly matched up teams. Uh, the, the Seahawks were only favored by one point. Um, but I think that what, what the key takeaways is this defense, the, these defenses are still terrible. They really need to work on, um, you know, stopping their opponents. If the Seahawks defense had played, uh, you know, j just a little bit better than what they did, they may have came out, come out with a win. Um, and so just expect, expect some shitty defense from both these teams moving forward. Yeah. Encouraging to see, we were talking about DK or Lockett, Lockett or DK. It was him. It was one or the other, the first two weeks, but this week being down, having to throw the football a lot with Gino throwing the football 44 times. Both guys got double-digit targets, 11 targets for Lockett, 
12 targets for DK who found the end zone. So uh, you like to see some sort of consistency. I know those are two guys that were dropping on draft boards just because of the quarterback situation, but uh, the production may be there just due to the fact that their defense is bad. They're going to be in shootouts probably if they want to win. Uh, they're going to be throwing the football a lot. And then last thing to note that game is we're still waiting for the Ken Walker show since they drafted him. But right now it's still Rashad Penny. While Penny is uh, healthy, it's going to be Penny. Why? Because Rashad Penny is a great running back. So uh, hopefully nobody forgets that. That takes us to a battle of the goats. Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers traveled to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Ugly game. Final score would tell you 14-12. Green Bay wins. Uh, and the under 42 hits. This was a pick'em game, so kind of a coin toss. Uh, again, ugly, ugly game. It got interesting at the end with the Buccaneers making a valiant effort to come back. Got the touchdown, couldn't convert the two-point conversion. Um, but again, the running game for both sides was such a struggle. The one thing that I said in the preview episode was going to be the constant. I was like, at least running the football will be good because both sides have good running backs. Well, no, the Packers ran it for a whopping 25 carries, 67 yards. Bucks, 14 carries, 34 yards. So uh, Leonard Fournette, A.J. Dillon, uh, Aaron Jones owners all had a shitty day. Packers receivers, Romeo Dobbs slowly creeping up, eight for 73 and a touchdown. Lazard seems like the classic is going to get 10 plus touchdowns because Aaron Rodgers touchdowns have to go somewhere every year. So that might be a guy that people just pick up and start on random weeks because he's probably going to find the end zone four for 45 and a touchdown again, Dylan and Jones, almost identical games, 12 carries each two catches versus three catches and Russell Gage sighting guys, 12 catches for 87 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets. So the ball had to go somewhere for Brady and it was all Russell Gage. Um, and the last thing we talk about two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but are these two quarterbacks officially quarterbacks that you probably are not going to be starting in fantasy football in the foreseeable future? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady for me, um, only because I don't have any other choice. I I'm probably still starting him, but, um, yeah, man, I, I don't know what to do. I'm in shambles. I've got a, a, a bench that I don't want to get rid of. So, um, but most people that have two QBs, you know, you have Kirk cousins on your bench, um you've got maybe jared goff on your bench you're probably going to start tua. those guys tua yeah tua you're probably going to start those guys uh over tom brady yeah i mean i'm not touching these players there's a reason i didn't draft them like they're too old and like there's too many there's too many injuries with the whole godwin situation don't even know if he's ever going to come back maybe he's and then it's julio like come on like it's fucking julio you think he's ever going to see the field again that's also a conversation mike evans is the only uh lone ranger that's going to come back eventually and um, I just don't know. I just don't know. I, I think at the end of the season, there's going to be situations where you play Brady, especially if it's like a nemesis or if it's like, you know, an easier defense. But everyday starting option, Brady is not one right now. Rodgers, I mean, they just love their running backs too much and they're finding ways to win. I don't think like, you know, Brady is definitely more of a must start than Rodgers is mainly because I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Brady's going to be behind in more games than Rodgers is and that's probably the dumbest thing I've said all year and it probably won't come true, but I, I truly believe that, um, you know, Brady's just not the same guy. His whole life, he's had it padded around him with great coaching and um, just legit Hall of Famers all over the field. And now you see what happens when he has to be an average Joe and play with random receivers. And um, just, he's not going to give you points with the legs and it's just going to be strictly coming with the arms. And you already have a good running back who, um, demands enough carries to take away the amount of targets that he's going to be throwing to his receivers as well. Um, so yeah, if I had to choose somebody, I'm choosing Rogers. If I had to choose somebody later on in the season, I'm choosing 
Brady. And if I had to pick matchup wise, I could only have one. I'd choose Brady. But right now, yeah, I'm not starting either of these guys. There's too many, there's way too many better players. There's better rookie quarterbacks out there that I would start. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to look at fantasy, like the light of football from fantasy versus like just overall football, right? I mean, I think if you're just a football fan and you're playing fantasy in your first couple of seasons, you're probably like, why wouldn't I start one of the best quarterbacks of all time or two out of having both of these, two of the best quarterbacks of all time, but they're just not consistently getting you fantasy points. I mean, again, these are guys that think at the, at the part of their careers where, you know, ugly football wins are going to come more often. Now, offensive line is not as great for Tom Brady, like you said, in the Buccaneers. So they're going to be, you know, he's going to be getting sacked quite a bit. And for Aaron Rodgers, like you said, they trust their running backs a lot. And all I think either of them care about is winning the football game. So a lot of 14 to 12 victories where not a lot of statistics to go around uh, could be kind of the apparent of the Buc- or the Broncos in 2015, where Manning's statistics were God awful as a quarterback, but the defense and the rest of the team kind of carried the way. Yeah. I mean, whether or not to start uh, Tom Brady is not the hard part. I think it's whether to drop him or not. That's going to be the harder decision, especially if you have like a bench that you don't want to get rid of. Um, but the and so you really but, love your bench. You're I like really trying to fight do. for an extra IR spot. I, I, shit, man, that was I, man. I, I'm still you, we this never man, had a response on that. This man, curious about yeah, what was going I was on I was so upset. I mean, well, and like now it doesn't really matter because I can I I was able to move Pittman and Schultz around, but we'll get into that after after this. But uh, nonetheless, what I was trying to get at is the the Chiefs play the Buccaneers next week, and you probably don't want to start start Tom Brady against the Chiefs uh, defense. But the Buccaneers do play the Falcons a week after that. So then you could probably, you know, definitely start them. So I, I wouldn't get rid of them. I would just wait until that game. Not it's just game. the fear that against really inferior teams, they could, it could just be the Leonard Fournette show, right? They could just literally run the ball 30 to 40 times with Leonard right. Fournette. And again, they could win the game. It could look great. But the fantasy output from a fantasy points perspective may still be, may still not be there, at least not consistent enough. And then you're going to second guess yourself because he's, the GOAT, right? And so you're like, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, kind of like I did when I picked the Buccaneers to beat the Packers this week when both of you guys picked the Packers. So kudos to you guys. But it was one of those situations, right? So you don't want to fall into that trap when you're picking your fantasy lineup, being like, like you said, this week it worked out for you because you started Brady over Fields. But, you know, Fields has way more fantasy upside, right? Just because he can run and get the points that Brady will probably get all game right now. So uh, it's definitely going to be something that's going to warrant debate for the rest of the season. When Godwin and Evans come back, this may be a different narrative, though. Yeah, 100%. The second last game we're going to talk about today is a Sunday night football game between the 49ers and the Broncos. Wow. Man, I just... Primetime games still, have been so shitty. They have. They have been. And I, I just... I, I think we need to, like, recalibrate how the rest of the season goes as far as, like, putting the right teams up there. I, I think we need to... Stop putting Russell Wilson up there. I think we need to like just put him away from primetime games. Let's let him have his shitty ass games where he just comes from behind late in the games and tries to make things happen. Let the fans of Broncos country watch that because we're not liking this from fantasy perspective. We're not seeing firepower. 49ers, what what was that? What was that, 49ers? You know, so I can tell you what it was actually. Um, it was the turnover differential, you know, like they played very close, very close game all throughout. Um, but the turnover differential, you know, when you are negative three in turnover differential, they had three turnovers. The Denver Broncos had none, I believe. And um, it, typically, I think we talked about this previously, when you have this big wide margin of a turnover differential and you're playing against respectable teams, you're not going to win that game. There's there's probably a really good statistic page out there somewhere that'll back this up 100%. 
Um, and a couple of other things, you know, a couple of other things. Third down efficiency, 10%. What? You're not going to win the game like that, 49ers. And that's when you're missing Lance, right? You're missing Lance and his ability to get those six yards on third down. You're getting you're missing Lance and get, getting his ability to get the extra four yards on third down. You're stuck with Garoppolo at the helm. And if something is off, if there's a team like the Broncos with a solid defensive line coming towards you, you're going to struggle. That's that's the downside of having a pure pocket passer. And he didn't even really get first team reps majority of the year. So I think it's going to be a growing pain situation there. And they're going to find ways to beat that, uh, good teams. But uh, it's going to it's going to come with time. And another thing is. They lost the time of possession battle. Where is this running first 49ers team, right? You would think having a team like that, you would control the clock, you know, convert on third downs and just put the other team on their toes. But all of that fell apart. They just had way more penalties than the other team. It was just every aspect of the game, turnover differential, third down conversion, time of possession, penalties. They could not take the upper hand on anything and they only lost by a point. So that tells you everything you need to know. Still a good team. They need to figure out these errors. And um, once they get that stuff clicking, the usual suspects will have great games. Uh, Debo got hurt for a little bit, but I think he came back, and I don't think it's a big concern to be worried about. Um, I am worried about the running back situation. Uh, Wilson is great, you know, from a I'll be a poor man's David Montgomery kind of a situation. Um, that's not that great either because David Montgomery is already a poor man's Leonard Fournette. So, you know, you're trying to make do with what you have with the 49ers running backs here, and there's really nowhere else to go right now. They're, they're kind of stuck in their rut, and, um, but the good thing is they have a solid defense, in my opinion, the best defense in the league. Eagles may have something to say about that, but uh, they are the best defense in the league, and they're, they're going to find ways to win these nitty-gritty games as long as they take away these easy, easy mistakes. It seemed like, you know, very rarely do I say this, and this could just be a credit to the Broncos' defense, but a lot of the 49ers' play calling was so predictable. Like, the plays that they were getting Devo the ball were so predictable. The plays yeah. where they were running the football were so predictable. And it just seemed like I knew what was happening. So I'm like, if I kind of know what's happening, I think the defense kind of <laughs> has a good idea of what's happening, and that's why they couldn't convert third downs. And, um, and, and like, there was a lot of stuffed runs, which you don't see very often for the 49ers. So uh, I think the Broncos' defense deserves credit. They're very good as well. Um, but I think the 49ers still have a lot to prove. And I don't know if like this whole, you know, Jeff Wilson is kind of the only running back means that they, they're going to be forced to just start lining up Debo as a running back more than not as well, just because they need a different body out there and maybe one that can be a little bit more productive. But uh, I don't know. Very rarely do we doubt the, you know, the best play calling coordinator, best mind in the NFL and Kyle Shanahan. But I felt like a lot of the play calling was very, very vanilla. Yeah. I mean, the top four things, right? Like third down conversion, time of possession, yeah. penalties, when you're down by three turnovers, it really throws off the groove. And then then it's just like shambles. Yeah. It didn't help that Trent Williams, their star Pro Bowl tackle, also got injured. As well, all pro, so. future Hall of Famer, maybe the best tackle of all time. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't help. Yeah. yeah. Christian Derrissaw, 2.0. Is that a Vikings, that a Vikings player? Yeah, they already okay. compare him. They already comparing him to Trent Williams, so that's, that's, <laughs> not, not jumping the gun there. That's huge. That's huge. 
All right, last game on board was the exciting Monday Night Football. Exciting if you like defensive games. Uh, not exciting if you are all about offense. Uh, so I, I've actually been enjoying these primetime games. With Fucking all worst game of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Cowboys came out on top, 23-16. So, uh, surprisingly, I actually thought the Giants would come in and uh, win this game. Uh, but, you know, the, the Cowboys just did what they needed to do to, to score. And uh, the, the main point for the Cowboys is their defense. Man, that guy... Um, Danny Dimes was getting hounded left to right. Michael Parsons, oh Demarcus God. Lawrence sacked five times. Like, man, I'm surprised. And and uh, you know, Daniel Jones did everything he could to not get sacked. Right? He was like running all over. He was the place. mobile. He was running everywhere. Well, he yeah. was like a small ten year old kid playing Madden online. All he did was run the ball. I was like, I was about to rip my hand out. Yeah, sometimes he was running too much, I thought, because I think there's like an internal clock and like after someone, so he was just out of the pocket. He's like, uh-uh, I, I ain't about to get <laughs> I mean, smacked. his line was atrocious, right? Yeah. And there was just pressure coming everywhere. So I think at some point he was like, I've had enough. And yeah. a lot of those quick reads where he was just dropping back and running like a quarterback draw straight up the middle, they were always wide open, basically. So yeah. uh, I, th- I think that was I think that was good game calling or like good planning by him, but like you said, it takes away from all of the rest of the field and the plays that are transpiring. So it's such limitations with what you can do when you're just Danny Dimes running quarterback draws. Yeah. And don't, uh, and don't forget one last thing, and then you can take it or shove it. Okay. Uh, I think he got hit more than any other quarterback in any NFL game. I think wow. that's a stat after this game. He got hit more than any other quarterback. The pressures, the hits, the sacks, I mean, is just like, how are you going to win a game like that? Um, but uh, so, oh, also, uh, CD Lamb, man, that guy, I just have to bring this up. That that catch that he just completely missed. How do you, wide receiver one of your team, you're supposed to be the leader of that squad and you just dropped that pass. Like, what are you doing, man? I mean, Cooper uh, Rush put that on the numbers. I haven't seen a ball get thrown like that far, just right here, like right. in such a long time. Like, I couldn't believe how well placed that ball was. Like, perfectly in stride, everything. And yeah. It, I think he had a redemption and he, he came back and um, scored later on. So I think that, you know, the, the, we don't for forget him. the people don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so some good things about the Cowboys um, say uh, Noah Brown, that guy's looking like a pretty good receiver as a, as a wide receiver too. Uh, while Gallup isn't there, he's kind of, he's stepping up. So uh, good, good to see that on their side. And then uh, Tony Pollard, man, that guy, we, we talk about him every year and he's should be the RB one. 105 yards. He just looks swift. He's just out here making all these cuts. And speaking of uh, swift and out here making all these cuts, Saquon Barkley coming from from the dead out here, left swipe, running left, touchdown. Like that was just beautiful to watch. And so um, it, unfortunate that the Giants couldn't come up with the wind, uh, come up with a win, had an interception to end the game. Diggs comes up, gets the pick. And then obviously we know about Sterling Shepard's injury, unfortunate there. Um, but I think uh, the defense, defense of the Cowboys is what sealed the deal. That's it for the rundown. Let's jump into awards. I got my first award here for you guys. My first award is called the Hype is Building Award. The Hype is Building. Any guesses? Yeah. Um, Mine are so obvious. I should do a better job of these, disguising these. The Hype is Building Award? I mean, what position? Gives it away. Quarterback. Uh, Jalen Hurts? No. Hype's already real for Jalen. Just making sure everybody else knew. Who'd you say? Trevor Lawrence? 
That is correct. It's ah. going to my man Trevor Lawrence, the hype is building award back to back weeks. I don't, I think it took Trevor Lawrence an entire season last year to throw six touchdown passes and he threw three in back to back weeks, no turnover. So uh, finally some improvement. Finally, all of the money that the Jags spent in the offseason didn't seem like it went to waste. Christian Kirk actually seems like a formidable weapon, a true number one. Uh, and again, everything else around him is kind of falling into place. Robinson's coming back way better than we expected from the Achilles. ETN still gets enough time to learn the NFL, establish himself, be kind of more of a change of pace guy. And so everybody's stepping up around him. His offensive line, uh, I know they got they had picked up, uh, I forget who they, who they signed in the offseason, but they, they have a much better offensive line this year than they did last year. So Trevor Lawrence is getting the time. And again, he's producing. This was on the road against a, you know, perennial Super Bowl team in the Chargers. I know they were so riddled with injuries, but you got to take them when you can. And it wasn't like they barely won this game. 38 to 10 against the Chargers on the road. Trevor Lawrence playing mistake-free football. He gets my hype is building award. All right. Well, I have the best running back of the week award. Any guesses? Well, it could be Khalil Herbert. Cody Herbert? Is that who it is? James Robinson. Yes. Saquon? No. The best know. running back of the week award goes to Lamar Jackson. Uh, you, you know it can't be that easy. Come on, guys. It was not going to be that easy. Um, okay. Well, let me just start off by saying he had back-to-back weeks where he rushed over 100 yards. He has over 10 touchdowns in three games. This man is the man. Like, this is the man, and then there's every other man. Maybe Jalen Hurts is up there somewhere, but there's, I see weakness in every, everybody's game. There's always a weakness in everybody's game. I have not seen one in Lamar Jackson, and it's been three years of just pure carnage. He's, this man is good. This man is fast. Nobody can tackle him. Nobody can outbeat him. He makes an average team look so good, a team with no running options at all, which is a bunch of nobodies back there. And now Dobbins coming up. But, you know, with no true number one wide receiver, it's just, it's just him – and Kelsey 2.0, you know, and I, I think it's safe to say Kelsey is Andrews 2.0 because I think Andrews is that good. Um, he just has this connection with Lamar Jackson. They work so well. If you just look at Patrick Mahomes and you look at Lamar Jackson, they, they're running similar style offenses now. And Lamar Jackson has just been a little bit better in every other aspect. So I think best running back of the week with uh, puns intended goes to Lamar Jackson. Sick. That totally threw me off. Damn it. I need to be better. I'm going to step That's up good. my awards game. <laughs> All right. So my award is the Undertaker Award. The Undertaker. Something about death. Like coming back from the dead. Yeah, Ooh. he's coming back from the dead. James Robinson. That was that was a good one. That's I did a good one. Saquon. That's a good Saquon. one. It's Saquon. Saquon. That's right. Coming back from the from the dead. First round pick last year, right? And you probably went and got him in the second round this year. And he's been producing, man. This guy, uh, eighty five yards and one touchdown, back to back touchdown games. And so, if you've got Saquon Barkley, and uh, you were pretty sad from what happened last year with the injuries, he's back, and he's ready to attack. Saquon Barkley, the Undertaker. Back in black, ready to attack. <laughs> That's sick. Um, yeah, dude, I have him in my other league. I drafted him because I was, we were live and I had the pick coming and you guys are sure was like Saquon, you got to take Saquon. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm taking Saquon. And I have been very, very happy about that. So, uh, he looks good. He looks fresh. He doesn't look hurt. He finally looks healthy and the offensive line is not putrid. So they're actually able to block for him. My game ball of the week, man, this guy, this guy just continues to impress me. 
continues to defy the odds, continues to just do things and, and just, you know, not be appreciated enough. Um, you know, he was just so misunderstood when he first came into the league and then he Sad. came into his own, he came into his own and now he's in a group. He's found his spot. He's found his home. He's found the position that he's most comfortable at. Do you guys have a guess for my game ball? My game ball goes to Mr. Unicorn himself, Cordero Patterson. Mm. Oh my God, I'm getting my game ball. Dude, dude, you gotta be the ones, man. You gotta be the ones. Cordero, yeah, man, fuck. this guy just continues to impress. I cannot believe that it took this long for, you know, for, I mean, it's been a while now and he's, he gets running back playing time, but now he's basically a running back, right? He's not a receiver anymore. He's a running back. And this guy, against the Seahawks, runs for a cool 17 carries, 141 yards and a touchdown. He did catch a pass as well, so one for 12. But again, defying odds, you know, when is this When is this shimmer going to stop shining for Cordero Patterson? You know, we thought it was a one-year wonder. You know, it's not sustainable. Like, this guy is not going to continue to produce. And all he does is produce in this weird Atlanta offense that, you know, refuses to give Pitts touchdowns in the red zone. Well, Cordero does give no fucks. He's like, I'll take all the touchdowns in the red zone. I'll even take touchdowns from like 40 yards out. So Cordero Patterson gets my game ball of the week. Again, key cog in their victory on the road. It continues to produce. So wow. I stole your game ball. That's okay. That's okay. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to pick another player just because it just doesn't feel right. I think I'm just going to add to it. Um, so I drafted Cordero Patterson in the sixth round, I believe. Uh, I drafted Stefan Diggs. In fourth overall, I passed up Derrick Henry, passed up Swift, passed up Dalvin Cook. Got so much shit talking for so long, and now Diggs is just shitting on all of them, right? It's a PPR league. And I was screwed because by the time I picked Diggs, um, and then I got uh, Devontae Williams, I ended up getting Waddle, which is working out really, really well so far. My only running back I had left, um, I think it was much later. I think it was like the eighth or seventh or eighth round. It was much later. I was screwed. I had no running backs. There was only a couple to pick from, and it was with like Jamal Williams and those guys. And Cordell Patterson was like, hey, I'm still here. Why are people forgetting about me? What What is the reason people forgot about Cordell Patterson? I don't know. I don't know. It, it just doesn't make any sense. They just assumed a regression was going to happen. And assumption just makes an ass out of you and me, and we should just all understand that until you start seeing regression yourself or if a player is in a new offense or if there's somebody better to take his job, you don't give up on that player. And he fits all three of those categories. And, you know, I think the Falcons are very, very aware that the chance, the reason they were even close in the first game and the reason they won this next uh, most recent game was mainly because of Cordero Patterson. So good job. Good job, CP. We should just get, we, we should be buying mini footballs and putting their names on it and just mailing it oh. to them and be like, hey, you get the only playbook game ball of the week, man. Congrats. It's a They're great like, what idea. What the fuck is this? Just throw it in the trash. I don't know what the fuck this shit is. Uh, but that'd be kind of cool. Should be like a little keychain cool. that they can yeah. put on. Yeah. yeah I like something. that. Something. Yeah. Show it. You All tripling right. up? I am not tripling up. Um, I, I originally had Lamar Jackson. I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to do somebody else. You're a big audible yeah. guy, man. I love your pre-snap adjustments. <laughs> Started from the Oakland Raiders. Okay. Goes to the Dallas Cowboys. And now he's found a new home. This guy. This guy. Any uh, receiver. Yeah. Any guesses? Started from the Oakland Raiders. 
Yeah. Amari Cooper. Went to the Cowboys. That's right. It's Amari Cooper. It's Amari Cooper. That's right. Amari Cooper gets the game ball after getting seven receptions for 101 yards and one touchdown against my Pittsburgh Steelers. But this guy, you know, he looked good. He was making those cuts. He was getting open. And uh, I think Jacoby Brissett could even get a game ball for for that game for being uh, as accurate as he was. But Amari Cooper, man, this guy has produced back-to-back touchdown numbers and over uh, 10 targets in both these games. And he's looking really good with this team. And uh, you got to be happy if you drafted Amari Cooper. So Amari Cooper, you get the game ball for getting 19.6 points this week. Congrats to their Shanala Nathan. Those are the awards, guys. Let's jump into recapping our moneymaker. I feel like I should just start giving out my entire list of bets that I send you guys on the podcast versus just giving the one bet out because I try to find one bet just to keep it concise. And uh, we took the over the Bills and the Dolphins uh, with Tua getting hurt, with kind of weird things happening that game. There was like a big lull in the game where scoring wasn't happening, even though early on it looked like it was going to be points galore. So the under came in there. So we did lose that. That brings a season record two and three, um, which sucks because I had an insanely amazing week betting from a prop perspective, right? I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop to kind of put the uh, cherry on top was the game against the Cowboys in Giants on Monday night. Like I wanted some action. I wanted to bet something, but everything was so gross. Like I didn't know who was going to win because it was a coin toss. I didn't expect a ton of points to be scored, but I hate taking unders. And so I was doing a really like, I was having a really hard time of finding a prop or something. And the only two bets that I liked were field goals and sacks. And, and those aren't, you know, sexy or fun to take, but dude, they kicked five field goals in the first half and the over was three and a half at plus money. So um, it was just really it's really nice to see when you like have a hunch or you do some research and like it actually comes to fruition correctly the way you intended to. And the sacks thing, man, I mean, I thought there was a point where four and a half sacks, like um, I was expecting the Cowboys to get maybe three and the Giants would need to get the other two. But dude, that Cowboys defensive line should, they should be on sack watch all season. They might break the record. You might be taking over on sacks in every game they play, especially if they're playing against like a subpar offensive line. But the pressure that that team generated alone, both those bets hit. So overall, I had a fantastic betting week, but the one bet we gave out on the podcast did unfortunately lose. So I'm going to make some mid-season adjustments. It's only three weeks into the season, and I'm going to start just um, – I think we may just scrap Moneymaker segment altogether on the podcast because I like waiting for the prop bets at the last minute to bet on them with the most up-to-date line. So I may just start tweeting it out at only playbook. So – uh, if you guys follow us on Twitter, we'll have all the bets there. If I do find a bet that or a line that I like pre uh, Sunday that you know I have to give out, then I may continue to give it out on the podcast. But it's worked out better for me just picking props and waiting till Sunday to figure out kind of what I want to bet on versus early week. Uh, so unfortunately, again, moneymaker goes down with the Bills, Dolphins under cashing versus the over. But uh, we'll adjust, guys. I'll continue to give out plays, and I think we will turn the tides on the season and make some money before the season is up. Yeah, I mean, you sent us that list and like I what I really liked about it is like, you know, betting, you don't put everything in you, when you're investing, you don't put everything into one stock, right? And you've got a, a, a different units that you have one unit or two unit, three unit, but based on what you're confident about. So I wouldn't sell yourself short. I thought that like that, those bets were phenomenal. But if you're just going to have one bet, it, it's, uh, you know, it's tough to just cons- uh, consistently get that. But uh, I think the the list and options uh worked out well for you yeah i mean again i don't think vegas like you know when we when we talk about betting and like i bet like college basketball or college football or something college related there are teams that play that vegas could care less about right like 
FCS teams, like Division One, but like in one of the shittiest conferences. And so they play on like Wednesday night when nobody really cares. And a lot of times I like betting on those games because the lines aren't as bad. Like I like taking a lot of those overs because I feel like Vegas spends less time analyzing lines for like really shitty games versus like marquee matchups. And that's how I feel about a lot of these props, right? Like Garrett Wilson has been demanding targets and catches and his over under on catches was four and a half and his yards was 48. I mean, he had four catches and 45 yards after like the first drive. So like, those are the spots I'm trying to find and trying to put out there because again, Vegas isn't caring about the Jets rookie wide receivers over on props versus, you know, very more marquee things. And so again, that was another one. Like I thought the Miles Sanders longest run for over 14 and a half yards was a good one. And he had a 13 yard run. So I lost, but I feel like I would take that bet 10 out of 10 times because they're a run first offense and they can run the ball really well. So for a running back to break a 15 yard run, doesn't seem all that improbable. Right. So again, things like that. Um, I'm hoping to put out more winners, but again, we'll get to betting. Um, I'll tweet at only playbook on Twitter. So turn those notifications on closer to Sunday and uh, hopefully we can get back to winning some money. Let's end the episode real quick with previewing the Thursday night game that's coming up here in two days. The Dolphins are going to be traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Two teams coming off wins. We talked about Cincinnati avoiding going 0-3. They are 1-2 after beating the Jets. Now they come at home, take on the Dolphins, who have a lot of uncertainties. We don't know Tua's injury, the severity, if it's a quick turnaround, if he's going to be able to play. I know he came back from the concussion, but I think there is still some stuff that's lingering there. Uh, so I don't know. I still think that's something to watch out for. The line gives me more reason to believe that that's something to watch out for because the Bengals are favored at home by three and a half points over under at 47. Without impressive, the Dolphins wow. defense has been right, right. Without impressive, that Dolphins defense has been without bad. The Bengals offensive line has been this line is spells that maybe Tua is not going to play. It's a short week, and maybe they're going to have their backup quarterback because that was the other thing about the Chargers line last week dropping. Now, Herbert got to play, and he played, and it was bad. But I think there's a reason that that line is not making sense with the way the first three weeks have transpired. So uh, Bengals, again, at home, favored by three and a half. Obviously, you're probably looking at this game as a game to deploy just about everyone. I don't know of any fantasy player, you know, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Higgins, Chase, and then, you know, Waddle, Hill, Probably, you know, maybe Edmonds, maybe two if you're streaming, but uh, I'd feel pretty comfortable starting two against the Bengals as long as he's healthy. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know about the running back situation for the, the Dolphins or if you guys have any thoughts, but it seems like it's kind of like one or the other and there's not a ton of volume. They're just scoring based on touchdowns. And that's never like a player that you want to start or feel confident starting. Yeah, if Tua doesn't play, it's Teddy Bridgewater, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. And he yeah. is who we think he is. So it's just kind of like, you know, I, I, that totally diminishes the whole Waddle and Hill <laughs> experience. I feel like the minute Teddy comes in, but who knows, again, they can still utilize those guys on those screens and just have them do a lot of yards after the catch type stuff. But um, I don't know. I thought the line was a little bit fishy. I wouldn't like, I, I don't understand why the dolphins would be that big of underdogs against the Bengals with that bad offensive line, but they are playing on a short week. Again, there are injuries to be had on both sides. So something to watch out for anything else you guys have on this Thursday night football matchup. Um, don't forget the Bengals are wearing their white on white Bengals action with the white Bengals helmet this game. So that's something to look out for. That's it. That's the episode guys. I know we always run long. There's a lot to recap. We appreciate you guys sticking it with us. Um, if you're watching or watching on YouTube. You can listen to us on any of the podcast platforms. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Playbook. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great week. We'll see you guys in a couple of days.